0: Hello friends, you're listening to Exit Point, a podcast about the advancement of base jumping and an exploration of its culture. I'm Laurent Fratt, producer and co-host. If you'd like to support this independent production, you can visit our Buy Me A Coffee link in the description and give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. In this episode, I sit down with Marshall Miller. Marshall's inspired jumpers and the public alike with his videos from back in the day and all the fun projects he's been a part of since including his appearance in Line of Sight. Shout out to the Kavu boys for what I think is one of the best wingsuit base jumping videos ever made. Marshall's got a lot to share about being one of the guys who helped pave the way for being a pro base jumper as one of GoPro's first sponsored athletes and being an influential figure in his community. We dive into his brush with the law in Zion National Park and the absurdity of American laws around base jumping. We also talk about the importance of patience in high-risk sports, the challenges of group mentality, and some of the lessons he's learned from walking down. It's been a while since I've seen Marshall, so it was fun to get caught up and hear about some of his recent projects, including Jump Limitless Flight, the VR wingsuit experience. And as a new dad, I wanted to hear about how he's balanced adventure and family life. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get into it with Marshall Miller. Why don't we start with one of the first jumps that I saw or the jump videos that I saw you in uh, because I was super inspired? It was the church office building in downtown Salt Lake City. <laughs> yes. So much <laughs> style, so much uh, revelry. Um, tell me a little bit about what was going on and how the whole story behind it.
1: Yeah. Funny enough, that was the days when we were like super motivated. We were doing you know, two to 300 jumps a year. And they were all little slider off type of stuff. And here in Salt Lake city, the crown jewel in in town, the tallest tower is the LDS church office building. Conveniently it's 420 feet tall and there's a city ordinance that no building will ever be allowed to be built taller than it. And so, uh, yeah, naturally the base jumpers want to jump off of that. Yeah, quick story, me and Hartman Rector, good friend, still jump with them a lot, jumped with them this week. We were getting into this stuff together and um, yeah, we just did a scouting mission two weeks prior and took the tour and checked it out. And the hours are such that, you know, you can't really sneak into the building. So you've got to go on the tour, so to speak. And at one point during the tour, they go from the east observation deck to the west observation deck. And in that transition, and there's a group of like 30 to 40 people typically, me and Hartman had our rigs on underneath the, we had some hoodies or something like that, maybe some sport coats looking sharp. But um, yeah, we dipped into the bathrooms, took our coats off and uh, came walking out and there was a sweet old lady. She was like 80 something years old and was like, hi boys, the, the, the group is the other way. you are <laughs> like, oh, sounds good and went out there and we, we had scouted, there was like some pretty intense fences to climb up and over there overhanging and we kind of found a weakness on the uh, East observation deck and climbed up there and Harper went first, jumped off. I went second, did a nice fat gainer and landed at our getaway car right below us. And we thought it was a strike mission, all good. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we drove home and like at 5.05, Pulled into my driveway and my sister Suzette called and she's like, you did? You just didn't jump off the church office building, did you? And I was like, <laughs> how do you know? I haven't told anybody. And she's like, turn on the news. And oh, so boy. sure enough, um, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC was, the top story was alleged base jumpers at large. And oh. there was a photo of me and Hartman from the actual elevator. Kind of like, I remember vividly like looking at all the corners, like, I wonder if there's a camera in here and (laughs) I like looked right at it and hey, (laughs) so they had a nice photo of me and a little less flattering actually, but you can imagine like all the buds were like blowing me up right away. Like (laughs) you're busted (laughs) and like, I was still like in my first couple of years of base jumping. So I didn't know it was going to happen, but Um, the officials at the church didn't think it was too entertaining and they ended up catching up with us like a month later. Um, you know, they would come to my door every day and like knock on the door. And I was like, kids don't answer that door. It's like, we're, we're not talking to those people right now. And I thought I could kind of avoid them. But, uh, a month later they went to my mom's house and the detective Uh. knocked on my mom's door and she's like you know, my sweet mom called me and she's like, Hey, there's a nice detective here to talk to you. I was like, okay, enough, like enough running around. So send her down, I'll talk to him. And they came down they're like, so we know for sure it was you. Three people have specifically turned you in. And, um, but we don't know who your friend is. And I was like, I'm no rat. I'm definitely not going to turn him in. So, you know, you're the detective, you should do your job. And so, yeah, obviously I didn't turn Hartman in, but Hartman's grandfather at the time was a high ranking official within the church and we were like, Hartman, just call your grandpa and get us out of this. And he's like, That's not how it works, dude. <laughs> so um, yeah, anyways, we got caught for that. They tried to give us like a three thousand dollar ticket. It ended up in the it ended up being like a three hundred dollar ticket at the end of the day. But all the hassle around that was you know, it's, it sucks to get caught. Yeah. But we were on the news and it was just kind of a, it was a funny thing. Like in hindsight, super funny. I'm super proud we did it. Obviously we're not going to do that building again, but yeah, once we had the sentence, you know, they kind of told us what was going to happen. And so I released the video of it and I put this hilarious, like pink Panther (laughs) snooping around music to it. And it was funny. I'd never actually seen the power of the internet until that video went out and you know, it had hundreds of thousands of views in the first couple of days and the news ended up sharing it. And it's kind of funny. So yeah, if that's the first video you saw of me, <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to be quick friends.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of style to that video. There was a style to that gainer. And I just said, yeah, those guys, uh, we need to be friends.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, let's go. That's right. You're
0: um, a law abiding citizen, a uh, respectable guy. Um, I don't want to dwell on breaking the law too much, but, um, you did have another touch with the law not too long ago and oh, it's starting off
1: rough. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I promise folks, I am a law abiding citizen, family man, <laughs> yeah,
0: upstanding nah. citizen for sure. And, You'd um, think. you know, base jumping shouldn't be a crime, but, um, it is. And, uh, it's a, I think it's a pretty fascinating story. So, um, please tell us a little bit about Zion.
1: (laughs) Okay. Starting off with two stories of me breaking the (laughs) law. This is good. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, you know, funny enough, these are actually two of my most favorite jumps, And I think something that really appealed to me with base jumping is remember that feeling you get when you like toilet paper, your neighbor's house, or you doorbell ditch someone, or you'd like you know, you do like mischievous things as a kid.
0: Maybe you're not law abiding.
1: <laughs> I like that stuff. It's it's just it's fun. It's, it's kind of harmless fun. Excitement. Yeah, you're not hurting anybody, but it's it's kind of fun that someone's gonna come catch you and nab you and I don't know, maybe the cops and robbers. I watched too many of those shows growing up, but yeah, Zion National Park, man, that's that's one of the coolest places on the planet. <clears throat> it really is. It's uh Yosemite and Zion or I think, the two coolest national parks, at least in the States. And um, yeah, we've been jumping down there for a long time, 10, 15 years, and my first terminal walls were down there. So we jumped there quite a bit. We've opened up a ton of stuff down there. But there's one kind of crown jewel called the Great White Throne, and uh, nobody had ever jumped off it. My dad actually was one of the first guys to climb it back in the 70s, and so it kind of had some some value there where, you know, I wanted to get back up there and keep the family stuff going. Um, We went up there like a, a year prior and I just went for a climb. It's a thousand foot rock climb, like nine pitches of five easy, but you can see my dad's old bolts like oh, wow. <clears throat> drilled into the sandstone and, you know, slings on trees. And it was really cool to go up there and check things out. So yeah, we went back there right during COVID actually, the park was closed and, We thought what a perfect time to jump when you know there's no one in the park no one to see us we can walk in and walk out sounds pretty good so we didn't think anybody really be working there but all of the park rangers were actually still working there with nothing to do and so we took a shuttle ride into the into the top on the on the east rim and walked in it was me and two buds i'll probably not say their names to keep them well, wow, I have an yeah, Instagram video. I had to, yeah, we will keep them out of trouble too. But I have a ten-minute video on on my Instagram page that like tells the story in perfect detail with animations and outside TV did a real good job like telling the story. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll I'll back up. I'll come back to that. Um, so yeah, we got to the top and looked off the edge, and sure enough, there were ranger trucks in every one of our LZ options. And so quickly, those two boys decided not to jump they were on a one-year park suspension and they were at like a month 11, I think of that 12 month suspension. So they're like, we for sure can't get caught. And <clears throat> I was like, okay, I respect that. What do you guys want to do? And they're like, well, we're just going to spend the night until those guys leave. And it was freezing up there, like really, really cold. And I was like, I'd rather wrap down in the dark. I'd much prefer to jump if they leave, but <clears throat> yeah, we like set a time like an eight o'clock time frame, when it was, pretty much dark, the cops all left, we thought. And um, yeah, I zipped up the suit and jumped off of that thing and it was awesome. It was a you know straightforward jump. I flew out kind of by Angel's Landing area, landed at a place called Big Bend. <clears throat> and um, we had gone up the day prior and stashed some bikes, like in you know, one of those Culver's under the road, landed right next to that, grabbed my stuff. I decided to leave my gear, my parachute stuff, excuse me, in wingsuit there up in the canyon and just ride out on. I actually rode on one of those like electric one wheels is what I was on. And as I was going down the canyon, like it was dark and I couldn't see anything except for the two yellow lines in the middle of the road. And so as I was cruising down the road, I passed someone like three, four feet away from me. And she's like, hey, stop. (laughs) And quickly realized that was a ranger just out there alone dogging it by herself waiting for me, I guess. Whoa. Sure enough, it was game on from there, and it was like the next three or four hours of the most fun game of cat and mouse I've ever played, like two <laughs> rangers were coming up the road like full sirens and spotlights just lighting up all the walls and it felt really hectic, but you know, I was pretty nimble, just by myself, no rig, and I could hide behind trees, and I'd wait for the cars to like turn around and go down the canyon a bit, and I'd just jump on my wheel and I'd put like black like gaffers tape on the lights, So I was stealth mode and <laughs> these guys, you know, that there was a, there was a moment where I was making my way down the canyon, but there was a moment, there was kind of four different cop cars looking for me and they always had their headlights on and their flashlights out. And so it was super easy to know where they were at. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyways, I got out of the canyon. they didn't catch me. Um, <clears throat> And I didn't know what to do. My friends were still on top, so I obviously had to go get them. And uh, we didn't have cell phone reception from where they were at, and so we had a plan. I was just going to go up there in the morning, and I was going to pick them up at like noon the next day. They were going to rappel down. It was kind of the the rough plan if they didn't jump. And so I went down that night and got like a five hundred dollar night hotel room where I didn't think they'd suspect anybody be at, and I hid my car behind a dumpster in this like maintenance shop and. I felt really good. I went to bed with a huge smile on my face, <clears throat> but that morning at like 4 a.m., I hear this knock on my door and I was like, I know who this is. So I looked out at the people and sure enough, there was four people standing there and I didn't answer the door for like 10 minutes because I just knew how that conversation was going to go, but they just kept banging on the door. I was like, I, during COVID, I was like the only person in that entire hotel. And so they weren't going in, going away. So I opened the door. I was like, hey guys, what's up? And they kind of had some like holes in their story. Like, hey, we saw you and two of your friends jump off of that thing. And I was like, only one of us jumped. I didn't say this obviously, but I was like, I could tell that their story wasn't buttoned up. And so, yeah, long story. So you I went you did up the a next good morning, job. Of,
0: you did a good job of not snitching on yourself, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, once again, like, Detectives are professionals, and we should let them do their work. And they were asking me what I did and what I didn't do. And again, my kind of reply was, "You know, you're the professional here. Why don't you tell me what I did?" And you know, they don't want to really hear that. <clears throat> they want you to just tell you, tell them everything that you've done, and make their jobs easy. But I found, I've I found that this is the best way to do it. You know, I've, I've been caught in the Grand Canyon before. And, You know, talked our way out of it just because the, you know, the the park ranger didn't really have enough on us, or was kind of bluffing like, hey, I have photos, and we're like, let's see them, and turns out they don't really have anything. So, I I don't think the rangers are out there really trying to bust us. A lot of people, especially in our generation, kind of recognize this as people are doing this every day, all day, and base jumping and wingsuiting's, you know, kind of common these days, and so. I don't think people are out there really trying to bust you, but some Rangers kind of have a, you know, they want to get that tick mark in their belt that I've caught some base jumpers and hopefully those guys can kind of simmer down as we progress forward.
0: Wow. So you're sitting there fall asleep with a big grin on your face within a king size bed thinking you (laughs) got away with it and then knock, knock, knock.
1: Busted. Busted. Busted it wasn't even busted. It was just like, you know, we know what you did, but they're like, we're going to come, they're like, can we search your room and search your car? And I was like, no, not tonight. Maybe some other time. And they're like, well, we're going to go get a search, you know, a search permit. And I was like, it's four in the morning. I doubt you're going to do that. So sure enough, they went somewhere and got a permit like an hour later and came back and, you know, they searched my car, my room and inside my car, I had like paragliders and speed wings and, other parachutes. And they're like, ah, here it is. We got you. I was like, those are all packed. Those aren't even, you know, I was trying to explain to them that, you know, that's what I do is human flight stuff. And they're like, finally, we caught you. So yeah, to to back up a little bit, I drove up the next morning, got my two buds. They were kind of haggard. It must've been a super cold, long night up there for them. But we were driving back down to go get their car and kind of finish up the trip. And on the way down, two Rangers were waiting at the tunnel for us and pulled us over. And as they walked up to my car, they recognized my two buds in the back seat and they're like, Oh, you guys are back. Huh? So we all went to the ranger station and you know, I, I confessed everything. I said, gigs up. <laughs> I did it. These guys didn't. So let's talk about how we're going to move forward from here. But yeah, part of the sentence was, I got three tickets on this, on this thing that were kind of silly. Um, one was base jumping. They had a video, like they, had busted one of my other friends in the Grand Canyon and took his GoPro. And it's a funny story. This is Pat Walker actually. And they took Pat Walker's camera and he and I had been jumping other exit points there in, in Zion. And so they're like, Hey, we recognize your same suit, your helmet, everything in this other video. We want you to make guilt to that one too. And of course I tried to like backpedal out that one. Like, Oh, I, I lend my suit out all the time. And you know, people borrow my helmet and yada, yada, yada. And they're like, no, dude, we can recognize your voice and everything. And so I admitted to two accounts of base jumping. Um, I got a ticket for raptor nesting, so, like one month during the year, they closed some of these areas for raptor nesting. Didn't even know that was a thing. I knew that was during climbing seasons, but they got me for that. And then they gave me a ticket for skateboarding in the park, which is <laughs> kind of funny, but <laughs> they, petty. they gave it to me. Yeah. Petty. Exactly. So,
0: Hey man, that's honorable though, to take it, um, for you, for the team, you know,
1: I yeah, appreciate that. Right. Right thing to do, I guess. But yeah, unfortunately I probably can't jump in Zion national park anymore as much as I want to. It's, it feels like my backyard. It's, you know, a couple hours away and it's the most beautiful place on the planet. I, I really love that place. Just what a shame. Can enjoy it. I know. I know.
0: So you teamed up with outside and they, uh, I haven't seen this, uh, this um, animation you're talking about. So you teamed up with Outside and, and they put together this whole uh, little feature about your adventure.
1: They did, yeah, it's, it's a funny story. I was doing these like weekly episodes with Outside TV and telling stories or different adventures. And this was kind of like the last episode, so to speak. And part of my sentence was I had to do a public apology on my Instagram page, which I thought was really silly. But the officials and the court through the court system was like, we want you to use that video on your Instagram page and say that you're sorry for doing it. And I was like, okay, you want me to post my video? That's that's crazy. If that's what you want, I guess I'm happy to After you know, at this point I'm already busted. And so, yeah, I posted that video, but outside TV produced this thing and it was really good. But right before we were meant to publish it, outside TV got acquired by a bigger company and they're like, Hey, take our name off of this. We can't be associated with this type of stuff. And so I was like, ah, I respect that. So he trimmed the video just a little bit and still posted it. It's on my Instagram page. It's it's a really funny 10-minute video if you want to check it out.
0: I'll check it out and I'll link it in the description. That's uh yeah. that's pretty wild, man. What <laughs> I mean, talk about petty. They want you to apologize. What's even the reasoning behind that? I mean, how does a how does a law enforcement official a judge or anything even like how does that even cross their mind? Like what is this? It just seems so.
1: I think this, yeah, people base jump obviously in national parks all the time, every day, all day around the world. And um, I think Zion National Park specifically just wants us as a community to know that they don't appreciate when we come and base jump in Zion, you know, and I get it. Like people got to get out of bed and track you down and chase you. And I don't think every park ranger wants to be doing that. So some look the other way and Thanks for doing that. We're not trying to wipe it, wipe out. We're being super in, like less impactful than most adventure sports and national parks. You know, rock climbing, we're drilling bolts and putting protection in cracks and, you know, stuff like that. We're base jumping where we leave no trace. We jump off the top, land a parachute in a field and walk away. So, um, yeah, they kind of want to set that precedence that we don't appreciate base jumping, but one day we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, maybe we shouldn't linger too hard on uh, something we can't control at the moment. But um, yeah, I hope uh, the United States will embrace a little bit of logic behind that.
1: We've got to. We've got to. Through this process, Low, real quick, through this process, it's actually funny. I'm pretty well educated on the proper steps of how to do this. And there's a lot of things that you can kind of lobby towards, but the best thing would be if if uh, like a Senator's son got into base jumping and I was like, Hey dad, turns out it's illegal to jump in these beautiful national parks. And for someone like that to look into it and, you know, just like they did in 78 and 79 in Yosemite, they offered backcountry permits and you could go jump El Cap and half dome. And that only lasted for like 30 days. But could you imagine like some of these crown jewels we have in national parks simply apply for a permit and you and your buddy can go jump off of them. Sounds
0: amazing. It sounds amazing. Sounds totally doable. Um, yeah, all of those things. So we have to find a Senator's son or daughter that wants to base (laughs) jump.
1: That's kind of, that's the quickest way to do it. I'm understand.
0: Interesting. Did anybody else or resource come forward that had this conversation with you about the legality of it? And do you have some sort of, optimism
1: around? Yeah. Um, I'm very optimistic. Actually, there's a there's actually a lot of case law from decades of jumping. You know, and this goes back to the 70s in, in Yosemite where people would jump and get caught and, you know, people would kind of contest the legality of this stuff. We've kind of always been thrown under that umbrella of aerial delivery, which was a completely different law. I think this law came about in the 30s and it was initially meant for you know, people working in the park to like throw their tools off the top of these ridge of the, of the exit points of the cliffs, I should say. And rather than, you know, walk down a hundred pound bag, they just put a small parachute on them and throw them down to the valley floor. Obviously those have no control and they're going to land where they land. And as the parks became more populated and more visited, clearly that's a bad idea to throw a hundred pound bag of tools off the top with no controllability. So.
0: Right. It's interesting because, like, as more, as this becomes more mainstream, and it's just like you said that there's people jumping every day, all day, every, you know, year round, weather dependent. Um, seems like we can work something out here, you know. And there's going to be places that are a little bit more sensitive than others, right? Like, I understand, you know, Shemya is as sad as it is. You can't have parachutes opening over uh, downtown. You know, you, you, need to have people opening up over trees, unpopulated areas, and there are just, there are some combinations of cliffs and landscape topography that just, it's not going to work, you know, sustainably, but then there's so many other places where it, it can help, help stimulate an economy. It can, uh, showcase, you know, some of the most amazing feats of, of, uh, human experience possible and. Uh, the The resources so that go into combating it, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, it seems like a waste of time. But <clears throat> yeah, one day I have a dream. I uh, I really do, man.
0: What a legacy to leave behind, too, right? If you were uh, responsible for uh, lifting this kind of nonsense,
1: can you imagine? Yeah, there's a lot of people kind of making that push that have had their own run-ins with the law, and you know, smarter guys that have money for attorneys they really start to look into this stuff and, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be us against them at all. You know, together we can find some sort of happy, happy reunion that makes sense for both parties and we can do it in a respectable, you know, respectable way.
0: I can't go into it with too much detail, but I know that all cases in Yosemite are currently pending and that uh, nobody's getting tried. It's just basically put on, on the back burner, uh, because of one of the, the defense for one of the, the people who jumped set forward. And I think we're just all sort of waiting to see what happens.
1: Someone mentioned this on a base jump the other day. I, I don't know much of the details, but I have heard something similar to that.
0: I don't want to talk too much about it. Uh, I think it was talked in, in confidence, um, but I'm hoping that that person is going to come on the podcast and give us a full lowdown on it uh, soon because I would love to hear the awesome. story in full. Me too, right on. Um, so, man, you know what have you been up to lately? You, um, you're jumping all those beautiful Wasatch jumps with your wingsuit, and um, I want to hear all about it. But I also want to hear your thoughts because I feel like you've been quite patient around it. Like... You guys, you have some spectacular jumps. They're all fairly technical, but um, have you been patient or is it just me being uh, naive? No, no. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah, very patient. Yeah, you know, here in Utah, well, specifically in the Wasatch Mountain Range, we have, you know, 10 to 15 awesome, awesome jumps, like 3,000 to 5,000 footers that are really, really cool. Only problem with all these, they're all super techie you know, techie, meaning like a a super short start. I went through a phase a few years ago where I made my, I made a decision that if I couldn't jump, if I couldn't base jump something in my freak comfortably, I just wasn't going to do that type of jump. You know, unfortunately we see so many people wiping out on this progressive end of wingsuit base jumping. And, you know, I got a lot to live for. I'm not trying to wipe out base jumping by any means. I kind of feel like a loser if I did. And so Yeah, I remember the boys that roughly five years ago, they were opening wingsuit base jumps literally here in my backyard. You know, Hartman, Rector, Pat, um, Richard Webb, obviously Will Mitchell. You know, these guys are out there getting it. Bunch of studs. Um, but yeah, total studs. And I like love these dudes to death. I was always so jealous. I was like, oh man, this is literally like 20 minutes from my house and I can see it out of my front door here and – um, as I looked at the numbers, I just wasn't comfortable with some of them. And especially like in a freak at the time, just didn't really make sense. And, you know, I have Corvids now and I've had auras in the past, different, like specific base jumping suits to give you a bit more margin. Um, but I got back from a Europe trip and was feeling just really dialed and spent a couple of weeks over there. And I was like, let's take a look at some of these, you know, let's just call them 10 very repeatable base jumps here in the Wasatch, which ones are are better than others. And as we looked at all the numbers, there was a few of them that made more sense than others. And um, I was just motivated. It was actually last fall that I got really motivated to jump all of the base jumps here in the backyard. And, you know, Hartman Rector was, I love this dude to death. He's one of my best friends. Um, A lot of people have gone in chasing him off of wingsuit base jumps though. And, I'm I'm cognizant of that and I'm aware that, you know, watch out who you hang out with, so to speak. And Hartman's a total stud. He's always been, you know, like a brother to me. And he's like, hey, here's here's your numbers from your last 20 to 50 jumps. Every single one of those jumps would have cleared this crux on whatever jump we were looking at. And so from an analytical standpoint, I really love Hartman's style. He'll he'll look at it. And <clears throat> I've been on plenty of base jumps where he's been gearing up, ready to jump. And visually to me, it just looks like too spicy of a jump. You know, we did like a nine hour approach in the Tetons one time and I wanted to jump so bad. You have no idea. I didn't want to walk down that thing and down-climb it and rappel. And he put a suit on and sent it. And, you know, as I was talking to him in the, in the landing zone, he just has a eloquent, eloquent way of like, make your own decision. And, you know, as you turn right over that crux, you know, I had, 20 meters of, of range on it. <clears throat> Typically when I have 20 meters of range on a crux, that's you know, let's call it 50 down and hundred out. Sorry, 50 out and hundred down. I kind of know what my margins on a, on a crux like that would be. And I know what Hartman's margins are or something like that. And so I decided not to jump on that one and plenty others, but wow. you know, he's very confidence inspiring to kind of show you what's, what's possible and what's close.
0: I was going to ask you about, if you had walked down from any jumps and uh, you went ahead and said it without asking, um, I'm curious if we could talk about that in a little bit more detail, like the mindset of walking down. And, cause I know I've been there, it's difficult. And uh, I think there's a lot of value there. Um, so please don't, so listen. True. I mean, yeah, tell us a little in detail, like what was going on. Nine hour approach is like, that's quite a, quite a consequential walk down.
1: You know, it's, yeah, that was, that's just one of many. I mean, I think the hardest decision we make in base jumping is the decision to walk down. Sometimes it's clear, you know, you get up to the exit point as gusting to 30 and you just, you know, it just doesn't make sense. But like on a lot of these wingsuit base jumps, it's typically a much longer approach than slider off stuff. And you get up there and you realize you can be back at your car in three minutes and, you really want to jump. I mean, that's kind of why you walked all the way to the top of this mountain to begin with, is to kind of enjoy your dessert on the way down. And yeah, I made a decision early on in base jumping, where I jumped in subpar conditions and it put me in a lot of trouble, it was at notch peak. And I, you know, there was, was, it was 20 knots over the back and I jumped off of the west side of notch and just felt the wind like push my shoulders so head low almost where I was like scorpion position as I was going towards that ledge that's down there. And back in the days of little suits, you know, you just don't have much margin to begin with. And so, you know, I had an incident out there where I panic pitched and hit the wall and broke some things and had to get helicoptered off of that, which was, it's embarrassing in hindsight, but dang, you learn your lesson real quick. You know, that was probably 10 years ago, but you learn a lesson real quick of this is not the type of, (laughs) environment i want to be spending the night on the edge of a cliff In you know this is i can make better decisions and so yeah when you get to an exit point and lately the the conditions obviously that the conditions are always super important i mean suits are one thing but really in my mind conditions are so much you know i think we're all pretty keen on what our numbers are now and what the suits are typically fly at Um, but conditions can affect those numbers, in my opinion, by 20, 30%. You know, it's one thing to jump into a 20-knot headwind that's blowing up the wall really lifty and thermic as opposed to jumping like a high-altitude north-facing exit point that you're just not going to get that much value in the conditions. You know, you actually just have to, like, get airspeed to start flying away from things.
0: Yeah, even in the favorable conditions, I jumped to north face not that long ago, like uh, towards the beginning of the summer, and I feel like that was the the last... It was the first time that I felt free fall in quite a while, you know, because <laughs> yeah, usually wing suit, yeah, yeah wingsuiting, right? Like, I mean, usually, you know, you step off, push off, and I'm always jumping in really favorable conditions in the sun. And it's like, you don't ever even feel the free fall. <laughs> and I,
1: Totally. Yeah. You start flying. You're like, here we go. Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, this one, uh, this one was like, oh yeah, you can fall base jumping sometimes. I mean, it was all good. It was I was ready for it, um, but uh, and the cliff is huge. But you know, it was it just sort of reminded me about how important conditions are.
1: Totally, totally. Quartering tailwind. Yeah, it's hard
0: to walk out. It's like the worst for me. Yeah, you know, like
1: uh, I know, especially high altitude and north facing. Like you do get that sensation of like, man, I'm falling a long ways here. The suit should have been flying, you know, way back there. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am, still kind of like making, trying to get it to power up. So yeah, walking off of base jumps, that's something that I take note of. let us I think every jumper really needs to be more aware of, you know, hey, it's okay to walk off of things. The mountain's not going anywhere. You can come back next weekend in better conditions and have a great jump. It's way less stressful.
0: Nine, so nine hours of hiking down? Well, I mean, obviously it's like up goes a little bit slower than down, but
1: Jesus. Dude. It was still a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. in the Tetons too, and it's climby and scrambly and loose rocks. It was, it was fun. Luckily I had a butt up there that was going to carry our ropes down anyways that. Oh, okay. So you you weren't alone
0: too. That's, that's
1: partnered up with him and cruised down together. Nice.
0: You know, I'm thinking like, there's been a few times where I've ground launched my parachute, you know, pull it out of the container, uh, bring the slider down, tie it off and, and then, you know, ground launch my, my, uh, my canopy, but in the Tetons, I don't think there's much ground launching locations there, <laughs> is there?
1: That was pretty – yeah, it was kind of cliffy and rock faces up there. But, yeah, respect. I, I actually love that move. If, you, if the conditions are favorable where you can, like, pull the canopy out and float your way down <laughs> – I've actually never done that. I've paraglided a lot and speed flew a lot, but I've never unpacked a wingsuit slider-up base rig and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it like this. <laughs> it's pretty I good. I think I've
0: only done it really twice – but yeah, saved my ass for sure. I was, <laughs> um, I was. I think it was like one of my first seasons in France. I hadn't moved there yet, and I was so in over my head. And I met up with Matt Curtis, at Rock, and this other guy, Micah. Um, not the the Micah from um, you know uh, that we love know and love, but a uh, French Micah. It's also a great dude, but. And we were hoping to go up in this exit, and uh, we got there after a long hike. I think we spent four or five hours hiking around looking for an exit point. And this is before lasers were commonplace, and throwing some rocks. You know, it's like five, 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 five. You know, tossing as hard as we can. Five, <laughs> and we all agreed right away that this wasn't uh, a jump for us. And thank God that they didn't jump because I might've thought it was a good idea for me too. You know? And, uh, I just, I didn't know right. what I was doing back then. And, uh, you know, where we walk to go down and uh, it was pretty rocky. And, but then there were, as soon as we got to a, this little tiny piece, piece of grass, like a patch of grass on the side of the Hill there, you know, like we're way up there at like 2,700 mm-hmm. meters or something. So quite up there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is in feet. Um,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Matt G pulls out his, his parachute and says, Hey guys, I got to go to work. You know, like, he was always working <sighs> on something, right. <laughs> Lays it out, right. has this perfect, uh, you know, f- headwind pulls it up over his head and flies away. And I was just like, I had never paraglided. Yes. I had never speed flown <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. and rock man. Big thanks to rock. Cause The other dude, Micah, launched successfully, flew away as well. Also has paragliding experience. Rock was like up there, like held the center cell, told me what to do, walked me through it, like helped me (laughs) launch. And I was just like, man, it was probably better than a base jump because I just had never thought, even conceived that this was a possibility. And (laughs) Totally. uh,
1: Yeah. This is great.
0: Rock will be a friend forever (laughs) just for that moment, if nothing else.
1: Hey. For sure. <laughs> right on. I can't imagine how spicy that'd be. Like never done that before. And forward launching a base canopy isn't exactly easy. There's a few things you got to know what to do and how to do it. Oh, that's
0: horrified. <laughs> that's horrifying. It's probably more yeah, scary nice. than, than, than base jumping, uh, you know, in my wake at that point.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Back to what you're saying. It's it's tough when you get up to an exit point and I don't know, say you're in a group of four, four people. If one person's stoked to send it, dang, you know, the other three are probably going to follow suit. That, it's, that takes way more wherewithal to know your limits in a situation like that, where we're all jumping the same suit, same gear. You know, if one guy can do it, so can I, is it is a easy mentality to default towards. So yeah, it's much easier when everybody kind of says, all right, this isn't for us today or the conditions are wrong or whatever, but Yeah, I try to be mindful of that too. Sometimes when you're on exit points with less experienced jumpers, don't set a bad example for them. Even though that's what you're coming to do, it's something to be mindful of.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. It's like a a team sport in that regard. Like uh, if you're going to go out with some people that don't have the sort of skill set that you do, then you should probably be prepared to walk down if nobody's – you know, if even one person mentions that they're not feeling comfortable make it easy for yeah.
1: them. Yeah. That's a tough one. You, you know, it's such a, the energy on an exit point is so contagious. I found that, you know, say you and your buds get to an exit point And if even one person mentions like, I'm, I'm not feeling it, or like anything negative like that, there's a side of me that doesn't want to hear that. Cause like, maybe I am feeling it. Maybe like the other people are feeling it. It's a tough thing to hear and it's a tough thing to say, but you know, Yeah, it is a team sport, but there's a lot of people that solo jump a lot just because they want to be in their own headspace and deal with their own emotions and feelings, and I respect that too. Yeah,
0: I think it was Steph that said that, that she likes solo jumping because groups can be loud, loud because she can't hear the wind and loud because it interrupts her own (laughs) thoughts. Sure, sure. And uh, that's that's true. I mean, I like my solo jumps, but I also like to do it with friends and –
1: yeah, it's like it's funny because I was I was
0: at an exit point once, um, and uh, it was an opening, and everybody arrived there, and you could just tell feel the tension and uh, feel the doubt, and you know there was so much back and forth and talk, and I just sort of sat back and and watched uh, it unfold, and you know as soon as the first person jumped, like it was instant courage. There was one person that sort of stuck to their their idea that this wasn't for them, but yeah, the courage that ensued was contagious.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, true, true. You see your friends do it successfully, you're like, ah, I knew it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I knew it wasn't that bad. We had a similar situation. We were at Sassolunga, the Death Star in Italy, a couple months ago, and we got there, and the conditions weren't ideal. And you look into this thing, and it's. on. It's spicy looking, but the numbers are actually huge and it's a pretty straightforward jump. But a couple of the guys got there and they're like, heck no, I don't want anything to do with this. And I was like, yeah, right on. I get it. But a couple of the guys were like, we've only got two days here and I really want to jump this. When I was here last year and didn't jump it. And yeah, people started teeing off of this thing and everybody made it look good. And we were talking to people after they landed and it was just fine. But yeah, that group mentality can sway things quite a bit.
0: Speaking of um, the Dolomites, I I looked, I watched uh, or rewatched uh, Line of Sight recently, and was amazed to see that it has one million views. I mean, that's amazing for a base jumping video. Um,
1: yeah, so, right. Yeah, good
0: on Kavu. Good on you guys. You did a really good job of sharing the joys of jumping. Can you talk a little bit about this project and, and what went into it?
1: Yeah, of course. It's, um, in my opinion, line sight is it's it's just such a good documentary of wingsuit base jumping and Agreed. what we're doing up there and, you know, how we're feeling and different exit points and kind of the vibe around everything. Um, yeah, this was a trip. I, it might've been two years ago, something like that, that we were, we were going to the Dolomites. We, we've been going there for the, like the last five or six years every summer and, it's one of my favorite places to jump. And we have this cool heli boogie set up over there. Where we have a helicopter for three days and we've kind of created this tour around it where we go to Lake Garda and warm up at Brento and have a bunch of really fun jumps around the lake there. Then we go to Sassbordoy and then to the helicopter. And then we, you know, finish in um, Colfosco where some of those more spicy Pizzelech type of jumps in the Death Star are. Um, it's an awesome, awesome trip. But this trip is funny enough, it was actually my 20th anniversary uh, with my wife. And I was like, you know, she was coming with me the whole time. And it was supposed to be kind of a fun anniversary trip, which Kabu was like, Hey, we're going to send a filmer photog with you, w- with you guys and see what you think. I was like, perfect. You know, the guy that came with us is a total stud and he'd be a good, good dude to have in the mix, but he's a great filmer photographer, Brady Nich- Nicholson. And, um, he edited that video, produced it, and just did such a great job. You know, he'd kind of interview us at the right times and get our thoughts and feelings on things. And yeah, that was a, that's one of my favorite videos. Like if people are like, what's one of your favorite videos to watch? I always refer him to that one. You know, it's kind of long, but it's documentary style, but really tells a good story.
0: It does tell a really good story, and, and you guys are all real honest on it, and uh, it's, it's nice to hear a little bit of depth behind uh, the, the imagery, you know, because there's no shortage of uh, wingsuit porn out there, um, but um, you know some real depth of, about what's going on behind it is uh, something I can appreciate., Ta- yeah, can you talk yeah. a little bit about Kavu because you've been partnered with them for a long time now, and uh, you know, there's they're some really good guys, so I'd love Course, to hear a little bit. More I love about these them. guys.
1: Of course, these guys, um, the Kavu boys, they have a special place in their heart for human flight. Um, Barry Barr's dad was one of the first guys that brought hang gliding to the States back in the seventies. They lived in sun Valley and his dad would go up to Baldy and fly his hang glider down on skis. And there's some really good images of his dad, like on those old Delta looking Delta style wings, kind of hang gliding down speed fly style. Um, yeah, we got associated with these guys like 15 years ago, I think it was, and met them right when we met GoPro. Kind of, this this all kind of came together at the same time. We you know GoPro came out with these little cameras that we could now put on our you know anywhere on your body, really. But it was so little and easy to jump with; it just revolutionized what was possible. And um, as we built a relationship with GoPro back then, Kavu was was uh, was friends of Human Flight, and we. Um, you know, kind of partner with them. And that's been a relationship that we've had for years and years and entirely grateful for these guys. I can't think of all the life experiences that I've had and some of the best trips of my life that they've literally paid for and just said, go over to the coolest place and, you know, have a Kavu day more or less. And they, they epitomize the, you know, wake up and be awesome is just, that's their motto. That's what they want you to do every day. Like wake up and how can I make today the best day of my life? And so that's, that's what they support. That's what they promote. And of course, all of us want to do that. We want to wake up and think, how can I make today awesome? And that's having a Kavu day.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Maybe you could just tell people what Kavu means.
1: Kavu is, it's an acronym. It stands for, it's an aviation term. It's an acronym that says that that means clear above visibility unlimited. And that is like a mindset or an outlook of if you wake up and if you're, an aviator you look out and clear above visibility unlimited means there's not a trouble in the world. Clear skies from here, smooth sailing, whatever you want to call that. Um, just today's going to be awesome and there's no troubles in the way and we're on path for a, for a great one.
0: Yeah. And they seem to have filled a team of dudes that's live that ethos and, uh, something I really appreciate. What a cool company. Mm Mm-hmm. I saw I was going up uh, the Igui the other day and uh, this girl came up to us and was like asking all these questions and uh, she was wearing a, a, a Kavu fanny pack and I was like, "Ah, oh, right on. She's like, oh, yeah, you know Kavu. <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> yeah.
1: I love it. They're starting to be a worldwide brand now. And like, it's the, it, I love that you have that story. You know, you see him on top of the Igui de Midi and I was just in Hawaii North Shore a little bit ago and in the shop. There was a bunch of Kavu stuff and you see it everywhere. They're kind of, they are everywhere. And my, my 17 year old daughter is fully trending with the, with the teenagers right now. She's always like, give me more of that Kavu gear. Oh,
0: nice. Cool. So they're like, yeah, they're uh, making moves. Coming back in style
1: with the youngins. For sure. They're making moves. Yeah.
0: It's funny because I did a really, um, I produced a small, like, uh, info documentary kind of thing for BBC and, mm-hmm. um, it was shared uh, by one of our Japanese members, uh, broadcasters, and um, it's funny because they NHK. That is, and Barry and his Japanese partner, that you know, one of the retailers over there, was like showed it to him, and then they hit me up, and they're like, "Oh, look, you know, we saw this on." Uh, there was no somebody who was wearing a Kavu sticker, and there was wingsuiting, and I was like, "Yes, <laughs> this is so cool.
1: I love it." Yeah, support these guys. They uh, they really like. They support our game. They support human flight. They support people out there trying to have a wonderful day and live their best life. Everything they stand for is awesome.
0: You know, you've been someone that I see who's been successful as a a professional athlete uh, in, you know, these human flight sports. And I think it's, it's not easy. And there's not a whole lot of people out there that have done a good job with it. And, um you know, I think there's this misconception that like, Hey, they're going to, I want them to give me something. Um, but really being an athlete and having a partnership with a company like that is really about is providing some value. Can, can you talk a little bit about this for maybe people listening that are interested in, in being pro and, want to partner with some interesting companies and and how to approach them and and what's the sort of value that you can provide?
1: Yeah, of course. I appreciate you bringing that up. I actually get this question a lot. You know, I've had handfuls of messages like this all the time. Like, Hey, how do I get started to be sponsored? And a lot of jumpers out there, you know, they're good at it. They want to make a run and kind of get paid to, to base jump and paid to be rad. And, um, you have to look at it from a business standpoint. You have to look at it from a value position of like, it needs to be a win-win relationship just because you're the raddest dude on the planet. You know, not a lot of companies are just going to send you all the money you've ever dreamt of to be rad. You know, there's so much more that comes with that. Your personality, your, you know, your name image and likeness is what people really need to, to be on board with. And so if you're out there spreading good vibes, and you're doing cool stuff, you know, and you're just a good person. That's you it's you're going to be much more inclined to work with a work out a partnership with a company than if you're out there just doing rad things. And so it's a funny question. I, I get this question so often that I stop telling people like, yeah, what my reply, my reply to this question used to be pick out your favorite 10 companies and send them a message that just says Hey, my name's Joe Blow and I'm one of the coolest dudes on the planet. You know, you got to toot your own horn for sure and tell them how great you are and all the moves you're making um, and see if there's a position that you can, you know, bring value. Um, I hate to say, but oftentimes like your social media presence is one of your biggest bargaining chips. You know, if you have a million followers that you can share information about companies who you're affiliated with, that really, really helps. If you have a thousand followers, you know, you have a little bit less of an audience, less of a reach. But if you do have some viral videos out there that, you know, in the future you hope to create more of, again, that's another bargaining chip. Anyways, I used to tell people this all the time, like, yeah, pick out your top favorite companies, send them a message, really be smart about how you could create a win-win type of relationship with them and approach it like a business, you know, approach it like how you want to be a consultant or sorry, you want to be a contractor for this company. You know, you want to be affiliated with them that way. And the more I kept doing that, Hey, I'm the first to recognize it's super hard to, to get paid from a company. It's one thing to send a company a message and say, I love your brand. I love everything you guys are doing. That company will easily send you gear and anything else, kind of their, their soft cost items. Um, But to actually turn that into monetary value to get paid where they send you a check every month or every year, that's an entirely different pursuit. Um, And it's so hard that some of these guys that are asking these type of questions, I took a step back and now my approach to that question is, why don't you just get really good at something and create your own value and keep doing these type of sports for the love of it and, you know, sponsor yourself in essence. You know, get a good job, get a good career, get something that's put together on your end where it's really cool and sponsor yourself. And, you know, let's just say if a hundred people ask me that question, the reality of people actually becoming sponsored and getting paid to do the things that we do, it might be one of those people out of a hundred that are qualified and have the skills and have the, you know, all the right attributes and characteristics of someone that, a big company with a lot of money that would want to be, aligned with. So yeah, that goes back and forth a lot. I, you know, as much as I want to say, yeah, everybody keep doing rad stuff and keep pumping out content and videos and you you're, you're guaranteed to get noticed and sponsored. Um, it's a long road of not a lot of money to, <laughs> to arrive at that spot. You know, if you think about it, some of the only companies that have human flight teams or, you know, are actually paying human flight athletes is very small. You know, let's just say if there's a thousand of us wingsuiters out there, the companies that want to sponsor and be aligned with wingsuit based jumpers specifically, you know, there's like 10 of those slots out of a thousand jumpers. So be that really awesome 1%, I guess.
0: Yeah. It's not an easy road. Yeah. What about the, Uh, you know, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was going to say like a, a lot of the things that we found in, in the past, Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book called Outliers, and it's really good. uh, But it also puts things into perspective as far as being at the right place at the right time. And so he talks about Bill Gates and how, like, he got his start, and you know, computers and the internet were just barely coming out when he was motivated to to make moves in that industry. Same thing in wingsuit base jumping and human flight. Um, It was the days of. Social media was just becoming a thing. The power of the internet, like GoPro cameras, YouTube. Um, this was all very fresh and very new. So there just wasn't a lot of content out there at the time. And so it was kind of like a little bit of a shoeing because we were some of the more active jumpers and we were kind of handy with social media. We were handy with these different outlets of producing content. And it, was a, it was an easy value position to present to companies that, hey, we've got these resources. We've got sponsors like GoPro backing us um you know to get sponsors at that time felt it felt pretty easy so yeah with on on the cusp of all that stuff coming out it was just a good time to you know go make a jump film it film it in a different angle that nobody had ever seen before and people are going to be super interested in checking that out whereas these days you know we've got 360 cameras that you can get every shot you've ever dreamed of and you know we've all seen those type of shots before and we love them but we're all using the same camera now and kind of getting the same shots.
0: With like the overabundance of the shot, uh, where do you think, or maybe where do you focus, uh, your content creation? Do you have a, do you have a, a message that you're trying to send or is there a, a kind of vibe that you put out with your material?
1: That's a good question. I, I think when I go film jumps, um, I know a lot of us like to think that we're the most hardcore dudes on the planet. Cause we zip into a wing suit and jump off a cliff. But in actuality, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's like a, it's like a paraglider flying off the side of a Hill. It's like a speed flyer running down a grassy slope. We all kind of exit the top of the mountain land at the, at the, at the bottom with a smile on our faces. And really we're out there mostly to enjoy nature and to enjoy the outdoors and the mountains. And oftentimes we're there with our friends and, I get way more out of walking up a mountain for a few hours and descending however you will with whatever short of wingsuit or parachute or speed wing you've got and being in the LZ with my buds and those high fives and those smiles are the most genuine that I found. Yeah. Wingsuit base jumping is pretty rad, but, um, there's a lot more than this, than just that. You know, I used to watch these videos of the Norwegians and watching like Tom Eric and Espen and Yoke and some of those early boys, when they would land in the LZ, they were like little <laughs> schoolgirls, just going <laughs> off and jumping around and high fiving each other and hugging. And I longed for that. I was like, "Whoa, these are the dudes I want to be hanging out with because they just did something so rad, and their energy is so you know so elevated that I got to check this out." So I was very inspired early on to, to wingsuit base jump, just watching the Norwegian boys get after it on the regular. And they're still doing it. Like, look at Tom Merrick. He literally jumps every day. He goes for huge hikes. Follow this guy on Strava. He's a total stud.
0: Oh, he's an animal.
1: And he's still like that same giddy little girl on the exit. And like, you love to jump with this dude because he's so much fun to hang out with.
0: Yeah, and I made a jump with Espen not that long ago, and uh, we were like in the clouds. wasn't sure we were going to be able to jump, and yeah, we were so stoked when we landed (laughs) and high fives and hugging and everything like that. So yeah, the energy is still there with those guys for sure.
1: I love that so much, man. I mean, that's really why we do it. I look at these sports; as like it's a great descent tool. It's really fun to go for a physical hike and get to the top of the mountain and fly down however you however you wish. And when you get down to the bottom, you you know you just did something really cool. You bettered yourself, and um, you know that's always a better scene than when you started. So let's do more of that, and let's do it for a long time.
0: Before we leave the professional topic, uh, I th- there's a lot of people that have been finding success through public speaking, and I know you've done some. Maybe you could share a little bit about the way that you your presentations go, what you talk about, and uh, your whole thought behind it.
1: Yeah, you bet. Um, Public speaking initially kind of came to me, I, you know, hey, look, I turned 40-something not long ago, and I'm in my years of understanding that I need to be responsible to better myself for the years to come, and now is the time to do that. And so I saw a lot of like professional athletes that were making this shift from – you know, from what they were doing previously to public speaking. And we've got some great stories. We've got good messages to share, but there's something that has always drawn me towards things like this. And it's just like wingsuit base jumping. If, if I'm watching a video and never have done a wingsuit base jump, that looks so scary. Like I, I'm inspired by that. I want to check it out. I want to investigate what actually goes into it. And I'm super, I'm scared of a, a wingsuit base jump, especially before you do it. And I have these, these same feelings towards public speaking, you know, imagine standing up in front of 10,000 people and, you know, putting your best foot forward and telling all these guys how to live their life and how to, you know, how to be their best selves. That sounds really intimidating to my, to me. And so I was quite inspired by that to like, I'm a big fan of overcoming your fears and, you know, making moves and facing your fears and getting comfortable with, you know, scaring yourself, you're scaring yourself often. It's good for us. And so I I looked into public speaking, kind of made some moves towards that with the help of Cedric and a lot of really other key people that have been very influential to me, and they've made successful careers themselves in public speaking. Um, yeah, and I've done quite a few speeches around the nation, and I like it. I'm I'm I have a really good message that I share with people, and the message more or less is is based on facing your fears and kind of connecting with your core finding out what drives you in life and kind of those core principles that you know we we'll call them pillars that make you who you are you know the things that really are truth to you and like building on those things towards a better future and those are some of my messages that we talk a lot about another one of my messages is saying yes um, think of the times that someone calls you up and they're like hey do you want to go do this adventure?" Um, you might hem-haw about actually saying yes to that or doing it, but every time you say yes, think in, in hindsight, think of those times that maybe you said yes and you necessarily didn't want to. You're always more stoked that you did say yes because that's how we build memories. And it's a lot of these memories when we're 100 years old, we're going to look back on our lives and be so thankful that we said yes to adventures and said yes to experiences like that. So- yeah. The public speaking thing is really fun. It's it's something that I really enjoy to do. I, I view that career now as something I'm probably not going to pursue as far as, you know, that's not my next, my next moneymaker, so to speak. But it's something that I really love to share my message with anywhere from s- small youth groups to business conventions and everywhere in between.
0: Yeah. I think uh, that Even if it isn't your career or your full time gig, just having a little bit of experience sharing in a professional setting some of the benefits that jumping has brought to you, I think is beneficial. And just having this conversation, you know, just have, I mean, how many times have you met a new person and they find out you're a base jumper? It's just like you can either have a real genuine conversation. And share something special with this person, or are you can be like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like I'm a jumper, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it can right, go right. in in one of two ways. And I I think that focusing intention on the benefits is a real powerful thing.
1: It is, you know, it's. I love that saying of, you know, how do you know who's a base jumper at the bar? he or she's going to tell you is the answer to that. It's so true. We love to like talk about how rad we are and what our hobbies and pastimes are. And I don't know why base jumping just comes out so easily with a lot of us, but with that same breath, when someone finds out you're a jumper, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to have an engaging conversation where they just, they genuinely have a lot of questions and they want to know so much about what we do. Um, but take that moment to make sure that's a positive type of, 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 um, you know, a positive engagement with that person. It's a great opportunity to kind of shine some light on them, show, you, show other people that through facing your fears and adventures and stuff like this, that, you know, you're going to create these memories that really make uh, life fulfilling. And so I'm a big fan of that. Like every time you meet someone, you know, try to leave that a more positive situation. I used to have this goal that I want to love 10 billion people. You know, that's, that would be in essence, every person on the face of the earth. And if you could look at every one of those people and find a little bit of love for them, you know, think of those road rage situations or the moments where someone's annoying you. And hopefully you can put that behind you and just find a little bit of love for those people. And as they talk to you, it's pretty easy to connect with them and find out ways to make their life a little bit better and share some light with them.
0: Yeah, I, for anybody that's listened to a few of these episodes know I like to ask questions more than I like to talk. And I usually like to turn it around where, you know, not everybody needs to put the intensity on an 11, right? Like that just happens to be my, my shit. And, you know, it can be public speaking. It can be going to talk to that pretty girl. It can be, you know, asking your boss for a raise. And these are all like sort of hurdles that we encounter, right? Where we have to do some box breathing, you know, calm our right. nerves down, rely on our training and trust that we have the confidence it takes to do it. Um, I think that's the powerful message that I like to share with people.
1: For sure. Yeah. More people like that makes the place a better, all much better.
0: What about balancing family life? Do you feel like it's been a challenge? Do you feel like it's been a positive aspect of your life and your, your family life? Cause there's a lot of people that message us after episodes where we have dads on who are like, Oh, we really love this. You know, I want to tell more. So, so please like elaborate a little bit about what it's been like being a dad and your relationship to jumping and facing danger, knowing that you have to support a family.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I- you know, just to start off the the first and most common question that my wife gets when, you know, they meet her is how do you let your husband do this? Y- you know, and I think you've got a different situation because your wife actually does this too, but it's uh it's an interesting one. Uh, right when I got married, I, I got into paragliding in my young twenties and, you know, we were just kids and just figured like, Hey babe, I'm going to go learn how to fly these things off the mountains. And She's like, okay, whatever that means, you know, be safe, I guess. And I, you know, I actually had, I wiped out paragliding like three months after I got into it, the worst wreck I've ever been. in. I like shattered my femur, my pelvis, four of my vertebrae. I broke both my arms. I couldn't run my wheelchair. It was actually like such a disaster. And so I just didn't know what I was doing in paragliding. I just thought it was really fun to like pull on the toggles and like, have a big swing set (laughs) and like didn't understand (laughs) everything that goes into that. The typical case of, um, intermediate syndrome just got me really good. And so, you know, as I'm laying like in a hospital bed and at my folks house for six months, I had a lot of time to reflect to be like, okay, (laughs) pump the brakes a little bit on some of this stuff and realize that your wife is literally here, like taking care of you at every beck and call, like you can't be doing this. And so, yeah, I, I I recognize that, I'm the provider in the family and my wife and I have two kids, a boy and a girl, Um, you know, but I was, I was flying paragliders before they were born. And it's just something that I've been doing forever. And so we're all kind of comfortable with what we do. And as people look in our, at our relationships, I think an outsider who's, you know, not into flying or not into adventure sports will look at your relationship and just be like, how do you do this stuff? And how are you comfortable with this? And how are you okay having kids, like shouldn't you be more responsible? Um, and that question kind of annoys me. Like, yeah, yeah, trust me, I'm not trying to wipe out doing this stuff. I'm actually just trying to, I'm trying to live the best life possible. And through my eyes, living the best life possible also means like being a little bit selfish and fulfilling a lot of my needs and desires. And I think we all need to take care of number one first. And that's that's us. If you give your entire life to your spouse, you know, that's, that's way to be supportive and stuff, but make sure you're happy first, make sure you're content and living a good life. That way you're just so much more full and have more to give, more to express, more to be there for other people. Um, yeah, we did talk about, you know, when people ask about how do you, how do you do this? How do you, you know, they'll ask your wife, like, how do you allow him to do this? Um, I think the, the people or the partners can rep, can recognize that they do this cause they love it. And you should see these guys when they come back from a trip or a jump, they're stoked, they're super happy and they're content. And now they're much more present when we're together and you know, they kind of got a fix. So
0: that's definitely true in my relationship. Ellen can see the meter, the fun meter. I, when I've been working too much and the fun meter is low, she's like, you got to go for a jump or something. Go get out get there because <laughs> I'm a better person, you know, like a literally yeah, I'm a better person and I'm a better dad. I'm a better employee. Um, mm-hmm. call you what, call it what you will. It, uh, it, it makes me a better person.
1: Yeah, it really does. There's something to be said about that, that, you know, get out there and enjoy your life for sure. The more you enjoy your life, the more, light you have to share with others, you know, and you're one, you should be speaking about this more so than me. You have young kids and your wife's a jumper and I'm sure you get this question all the time too.
0: Yeah, I do. Um, I have a lot of confidence in my wife. Uh, she makes amazing decisions. Um, she sticks to her ideals of what is safe and what isn't. And, uh, she's unwavering. Like the other day she walked down cause she had, she left her phone on the car and she walked, she, she left her bag, ran down to get the phone, came back to her bag. And like, I think it was 45 minutes later, just sort of had like this uneasy feeling about making mistakes and was like, Oh, I'm going to walk down. Yeah,
1: And I was like, wow, that's at a girl. Yeah, for real.
0: And you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like, a lot of the times the way that we practice a sport, meaning like going for an hour and a half to two hour to three hour hike, getting to a big exit point with a huge rock drop, zipping up our suits and flying away, pulling high. There's a lot of room for things to go wrong, but I think it's a lot safer than the general public sees it.
1: Most definitely. Yeah,
0: I'm not saying that it is safe. The safest option, obviously, is not to do it at all. But it's, um, I see it as sustainable.
1: Yeah, I love it. You know, I was in Switzerland a few weeks ago, and there's a couple in Switzerland. They're in their 70s, and they wingsuit. I don't know their names. I forgot that they, they wingsuit base jump together. I don't know why I was, I was so inspired by that. This is like a, a lifestyle sport that we can do for a really long time.
0: Yeah. I mean, if it takes a lot of personal awareness, as you know, right. And, uh, staying true to what you think is right. Um, like your example of only doing jumps that, you know, are, uh, applicable in a freak is a good example of that. And I think yeah. that, uh, yeah, we all need to set our own standards. I mean, there's been, there's been plenty of times in the last four years when I started being a dad where the guys I jumped with before were going to a different exit point that didn't fit what my uh, ideals or my risk tolerance. And I'd love to say that I just confidently said no and walked away, but man, it eats at you, you know, it eats at you because you want to run it with does. the boys.
1: Yeah, let's go. You know, and it's hard. you want to hit
0: it hard. And, um, mm-hmm. but um, unfortunately some of those guys are not here anymore. And, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's really difficult, or at least it's been difficult for me to say like, no, this is the sort of box that I'm, staying and this is what feels right for me and sometimes i push those edges a little bit you know i get a little dirty get a little naughty yeah, yeah but it's happens. like when everything lines up when i'm feeling great i've slept well and uh you know just had the perfect cup of coffee you know took a dump before i left <laughs> the house you know like <laughs> i'm feeling good, fit yeah. and yeah. everything just, just sort of lines up and I'm not, I don't have any like misconceptions of like, I'm invincible or that this is like, but you know, I also like my dad died of a heart attack at a early age and I want to live my best life. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be lying on my deathbed with regrets. And so it's a balancing act. And, um, you know, I'm just hoping that, uh, like Yuri, who I just recently chatted with that when it just doesn't feel right, I just won't do it.
1: Keep it simple. How awesome is that? Yeah. Hopefully we can all have that wherewithal to know that no jump is worth dying for. I mean, wingsuit base jumping in general, it's a super dangerous thing to do. You're right. If you want to keep it totally safe, don't do it. But I'm a true believer that if we have these parameters and know our limits, we can safely stay alive for a long time doing this. And it's like tennis. It's like golf. You can truly enjoy this your entire life.
0: Yeah. I mean, generally you're a pretty positive person, you know, like, uh, you have like this general aura of stoke, you know, like every time we've hung out and done some cool stuff together, it's just like, man, smiles for miles. And, um, but I know you've been through some darker moments. I know that you've lost some friends and, um, maybe you could share a little bit about how you've dealt with some of the darker aspects of the sport
1: yeah yeah that for sure happens it's a it's a conscious effort to be a happy dude you know I wake up in the mornings and I intentionally say like today's going to be a good day and I think about how I can make it that way Um, but yeah you know we all go through our ups and downs and admittedly I got into base jumping at kind of a darker place in life you know I was in my 20s and I was just to finish school and I was making so much money in my 20s in real estate that I thought I was going to retire and be done by the time I was 30. And I was just, a, you know, within five years away from doing that, I thought. And that was when the 2008, you know, economy crashed and I was caught holding a, of, a lot of liabilities at the time and realized real quick that my big dreams and plans I had been working towards, weren't going to happen at all. As a matter of fact, it was going to be just the opposite. And I was going to put myself in a humongous hole that I'd have to dig out of. And so, you know, I got into base jumping back then, like, I don't really care. Like, you know, I, I do care. I had a kid at the time, my oldest son was around and, um, it was a dark time. You know, I, I would go to a base jump. Luckily around here, you know, there's slider off base jumps and they're pretty straightforward. You, jump off the cliff and hope you don't hit it. It's, 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 it's kind of the biggest fear. <laughs> and so, um, but as I got into base jumping, I kind of found this whole new zest for life and a, this energy and like this enthusiasm to do this more, but like to live and like stay alive and be able to do a lot of these air sports and other things that we like in life for a really, really long time. And so, um, I'll, even though I got into base jumping, at kind of a darker time in my life, you know, I really want to give base jumping credit for helping me find so much joy. You know, it's, it's insane to me. The places that paragliding, base jumping, speed flying has, has taken me around the world. Otherwise, I'd never have visited these, these unbelievably magical places. And so I owe so much to these air sports for opening my eyes and really helping, you know, a lot of my outlook on life. But yeah, you know, as you as you base jump and as you fly and go through these years of this type of stuff, inevitably you're going to know people or have very close friends that are going to make a mistake or they're going to be the most cutting edge progressive dude in that time frame and you know, again, that's the danger, that's the danger zone is if you're the best most progressive wingsuit base jumper on the planet, everybody knows or every, you know, no one's going to be surprised when you, you know, find the basement, so to speak. And it's a tough position to kind of tell your friends like, Hey dude, you're pushing it or you're, you know, you're way too comfortable with doing a barrel roll down a a pretty intense line or something like that. And so it's, it's really hard. You know, I'm a cowboy too. I want to, I want to run loose and let my hair down and go wild, but you know, we have some things to live for. It's, it's one thing to be a young single dude and not a lot of cares in the world. It's a completely different thing to be, you know, more responsible and like have people that rely on you and need you in their lives. And so it's good for us to recognize that, you know, there's a lot more reasons to stay around than to, to go somewhere else. And so- Got a few extra
0: passengers riding that wingsuit with you.
1: (laughs) It's true. That's a great way to look at it. Keep it safe.
0: What, um, have you had some of these conversations? I mean, I'd be bound to have, but like some of these hard conversations with friends who are pushing too hard.
1: Yeah. You know, I actually hate to be the guy that like pumps the brakes on people. You know, I see a lot of people like at our age kind of get into coaching and mentoring and doing base courses. And that's literally the last thing I want to do. I don't want to like be someone's mentor. I'd rather be like, you know, your best friend and your support group and like your cheerleader, you know, I want to get to an exit point with you. And, you know, I have a lot of young jumpers right now in their twenties that have been like, show me the rope, show me how to do this. Like, take me to a spot, teach me how to do this. And like, I'll refer them to Chuma or somebody if they're in Europe with, with a Maori and like set them up with, what I think, who I think is one of the best base jumper instructors and kind of put them on this path. And like, I'm, I've got a really good outline for people just to be like, okay, hey, take these steps. And when you're ready to do this, I'd love to join you for your first one. Or I'd love to look, love to join you when you're, you know, proficient at this stuff. And I love that, but <clears throat> I don't want to be the dude that's like, Hey, be careful. I know a lot of people like the base jumping community, we have this weird thing where if you have 200 jumps and one of your friends or somebody you know gets into base jumping after you, you're somehow like the the, the all-knowing, most powerful base jumper on the planet. <laughs> and you're super critical of like that jumper that just got into it. And, you know, admittedly, I was maybe a little guilty of this when I first got into it, that new jumpers would get in, they do something sketchy, and I'd be like, those guys are going to wipe out any day now. But, you know it's, it's kind of a shit position to say that about somebody that's just getting into it. Maybe even six months after you, we should be way more supportive of those guys. And you know, if they are doing something crazy, if they're doing one too many flips off the bridge, just be like, Hey, that's pretty uncommon to do seven backflips at the bridge. You know, maybe do five is cool, (laughs) but if you want to go wild, like do it, but you know, talk to people that are really good at this and they've been around for a long time. And you know, they'll, they'll tell you kind of what's up as well.
0: Yeah. I I wish I could say that I was, haven't been guilty of that too, you know, like especially living in sham and seeing all the people coming in and wiping out, like you say, it's like, uh, uh, I got pretty critical, you know, like I I think I found myself uh, as that, um, judgy jumper, uh, a little (laughs) bit longer than I would have liked my attitude has completely changed now. Like I just, I don't have enough energy to, to share with those people. You know, it's just like, okay,
1: well, it happens, bro. Yeah. Um, it happens.
0: You know? Um, but yeah. Um, those, those conversations are, um, are pretty important and they're pretty big moments in, in some people's lives. And I definitely have just bobbled the shit out of it a couple of times. And, um, Yeah. I think it's, I think it's important to support those people, you know, that are basically our younger selves.
1: Yeah, totally. You can imagine like if you and I were on an exit point in our early days of base jumping and someone came up to you and they're like, dude, how many skydives do you have? Or like, how many times have you flown that suit? Like if someone said those things to me on the exit point, that's the last thing I want to hear. Like, I want you to tell me like that suit looks so good on you. I can't believe like all the preparation you've done for this. Like you, you, remember like the top three things, like look out, focus on where you're going, get a good push. Like tell me the positive things that I need to be remembering in my mind. Anyways, you know, don't question how many jumps I got or don't question like what I'm doing there in the first place. It's, you know, it's one thing if a jumper shows up at Brento and I was like, dude, I just got this sick new suit on eBay you know, maybe be like, hey, let's, let's talk about what your plan is here, bro. Like, how are you going to do this?
0: Let's work it that, out That's here. one
1: conversation. But I found that with most jumpers, I've been, I've been with a lot of people on their first wingsuit base jump. And I think all of us will remember that is probably the most intense, focused, you know, just full-on jump we've ever done. And I actually love these moments. I know a lot of people shy away from moments like that, but I do want to be there for these guys and support them. And like... Be that voice of like positivity and like encouragement. I like that.
0: I think you were there with Jesse for my third wingsuit base jump.
1: Is that right? Yeah, what in Cherog. Oh, awesome! Oh, okay, I remember this trip well. I didn't yeah, I was like, I just assumed you were just a, another badass wingsuit base jump. I didn't realize it was the third.
0: No, I mean, it was my second season, but like. You know, way too early in my progression. I, all I had been doing with my life was being a medic and uh, flying uh, wingsuits at Lodi. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was a ninja, you know? Little did I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys were there and... Uh, uh, it was uh, pretty incredible, you know, because I had been watching your videos and all of a sudden I was like, dude, the GoPro guys are here. No yeah, way, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you guys, you guys stoked me out. You know, there's some high fives before I went off and uh, it was awesome. just like, you know, pretty amazing experience. The funny thing is, is I don't know if you remember this, but um, I might be getting the numbers wrong as far as like the year it was, but I came back and then I, I bumped into you in, in Lehigh
1: in utah, in utah. Yeah, here at home and i was right. like what
0: the hell what you're like what you hey doing? what are you doing i was like oh yeah i'm gonna go in to visit this girl ellen and you're like yeah. no way get out of
1: here <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome yeah i was so happy to see you i was like the last time i saw you was in norway and now you're here in my literal hometown
0: yeah filling gas up filling, filling my little truck with gas was <laughs> totally funny. i was totally remember that funny coincidence 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: so
0: um Let's talk about um, the latest project that you've been involved with because um, speaking of Utah, I went recently to visit uh, the in-laws and um, Ellen's dad was super fired up to go do this VR experience. And, you know, like, to be honest, I, I had some, this idea of what it was going to be like. And I was like, ah, you know, whatever. Okay. Like I'm going to go and make, make him happy and check it and, out. Yeah. And, um, first off it was, really cool. There was like, uh, the, the whole building experience, the videos here, um, you know, just the fact that notches on this big video as you open up the doors and, and the thing that really stuck out to me was that there was this group of young kids that came in. I don't know how old they were, but old enough to be on their own, you know, and under Mm -hmm. this, not under the supervision of their parents, but just barely. And they were all super fired up. Like
1: wingsuiting yes. this,
0: wingsuiting that, wingsuiting this, wingsuiting that, wingsuiting this. And I was like, wow, the point of entry for our sport has just been opened to, you know, these young kids and they get to like grow up basically knowing that this is a possibility that they can explore. So I was from that perspective, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Tell for me sure. a little bit about um, yeah. this VR experience and, and where you guys are at with that.
1: Yeah. Glad you brought this up. This is called Jump by Limitless Flight. And um, this concept came about like five years ago. I I remember vividly, I got home from a trip uh, in Europe and came back and you know how stoked we are to share our videos with our close ones. And I was showing one of my good friends some videos over there. And um, he had started a virtual reality um, company prior to this. And he was partnered with Disney and MGM and Paramount, some big companies around here. And was just gonna sell this company and have a bunch of money, um, but he he was like, "There's way more creative side of this stuff that we can do." And his partners were like, "We're already paid, dude. We don't need to be creative anymore." And so he had this desire to continue on the creative side, and he was like, "I can build a wingsuit experience so we can stand on the edge of a cliff and jump off and fly the suit down." And so we partnered up. Um, I have a small interest in the company that I'm, I'm proud of, but this is something we've been working on for a long time. We had a prototype for a long time. And now we have a facility here in Utah. We have a facility in New York that's under construction. And we're raising a bunch of money right now to open locations in Vegas, LA, Dubai, London, all over the place. So, you know, We've got some big plans for this company. But <clears throat> when I first heard about this, that we could make a a virtual reality wingsuit base jump experience. I think a lot of us hardcore jumpers are like, yeah, right. You know, this is going to be cheesy. Like I'm the only cool dude on the planet. You know, <laughs> nobody can jump in here and do something <laughs> like this. And so I was a little skeptical, but the more time we put into it, um, this experience is actually so rad. You know, you get to the, you get to the place, you zip on a real squirrel suit. It's uh, it's currently based on the funk um, style suit right now, but you legit put the suit on, you walk into a bay and there's like a pretty good sized ledge that you are meant to jump off of. And the beautiful thing about wingsuit base jumping is like, there's no tethers, there's no bungee cords, there's nothing like you can feel. And so we really want to like have you in the experience when you put the headset on, you can't feel any tethers or harnesses or safety systems on your back and that you do two or three jumps in this experience the first jumps um you're in a skydive plane you're in a c130 hercules and the tailgate just drops down and you see like clouds and like mountains below you um, there's a
0: fan you, there's yeah. like yeah the, there's wind <laughs> in your face you have to step yeah. up to the edge like my totally. heart was beating i was like uh i started getting an adrenaline spike with it
1: so i'm saying yeah so the the actual the exit in my mind is like 90% real you have to walk forward in the simulator which matches up perfectly with what you see in the headset. And all of a sudden you feel the edge with your toes and you know what to do. You put your toes just over the edge a little bit and like get a good grip because that's where you're going to be pushing from. And as part of the gear up process, the attendant in jump is like putting a harness on your back that you can't really feel the tethers on. And so you're on the edge and you're meant to jump. And as you jump out of the plane, you know, you, you, we you jump out of the plane and then we've kind of set it up as rebel aces style where you fly through the, the flags and kind of figure out how the, what, you know, how the suit flies. And hopefully you get pretty good at it there. Good enough at least. And then you land on top of a mountain, um, pack your parachute up real quick and then jump off of the, of, uh, of, of the mountain again. So you get two or three type of experiences like this and, don't forget that it's detail.
0: Something- of there's somebody standing there at the exit point greeting you. Who's that? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. When you land from the skydive, you'll see virtual Marshall kind of standing <laughs> there on the, on the base jump exit point greeting you with a smile. And um, what's really cool about this, we just went to Switzerland here like a month ago. And right now we have Notch Peak and we have six different exit points out there at Notch Peak that you can jump from. But you know we want more locations and more you know cool places to fly, so we just went and filmed the, the Eiger Molk and Jungfrau and all of the valley jumps and oh, wow. we f- we filmed all this we had a you know we hired air glaciers and gave them like a half a million bucks to fly this entire you know photoreal area for quite a while and <clears throat> I can't wait like the all the the imagery is being processed right now, but here in like a month or two you'll be able to stand on top of the eiger, you know, and any one of those exit points, you can do the mushroom, the ecstasy board, the South side, you can do any one of these jumps and fly lines off the eiger. And so just being on top of some of these places, I think is so, so dang cool. Like my dad's a big rock climber, total stud. He's always wanted to climb the North face of the eiger and he just hasn't got around to it and hasn't done it. And I can't wait to take my dad to the top of the eiger and just have him put the headset on and let him like, look around and like see what it's like up there and actually how much of a knife edge it is and to have him look down at the Metalingi hut is just going to blow his mind. Otherwise, you know, he he probably wouldn't get up there. He's in the seventies now. And yeah, it's really cool. You know, everybody can put a wingsuit on and get a little glimpse of what we're doing. Obviously it's nowhere close what we're doing, but the feeling of jumping out of a plane and jumping off of a cliff in a wingsuit is now something that you can share with your mom and dad. You know, you can kind of share what we do and love with those people in our lives that are close to us. And they have a whole new appreciation and like understanding of what we do. It's funny when people go to the jump experience, first of all, like 5% of the people just won't do it because it's so real. A lot of people are like, no, I'm not going to jump off of this or out of this. But the other people that do it, like they get a real good sensation of of the the type of activities that we love. And and uh, it's, it's really special, actually. I've taken my mom and dad there. I have a Down syndrome brother who's made a base jump. And I think that's just the coolest thing in the world, dude. So
0: That's awesome. Yeah,
1: we'll see what this turns into.
0: Yeah, I mean, just being able to uh, put an experience behind all the stories, it just helps them to understand a little bit more, you know, about what it is that we do, even if it's not 100% accurate. I th- it was cool. I just noticed that, you know, like Ellen's sister, her friend, Ellen's dad, they just they came a few steps closer to understanding what it is that we do. You know, they've all been super supportive, but it, I think it was a real treat to, to be able to share that with them.
1: Yeah, I love this. Right on. That's the goal. To try to share with people what we're doing here. And there's a lot of us that would never like put a wingsuit on, and jump off a cliff. And so if we can help people kind of face their fears and realize like, hey, I can actually like do whatever I want. And by facing my fears, I'm a much better person and a more confident person you know there's a whole back end of the psychological effects of that that my partner's really focusing on and I'm such a fan of all those positive attributes and qualities that come out of this experience um you know that conversations for a different time you should have him on the show actually and he's got some beautiful insight on the things that we as jumpers are accomplishing by facing our fears that is fascinating to me he can speak to it much better than I can
0: cool well let's line it up you bet but um we're sort of running out of time here. Um, I want to hear before we go what is in store for you in the future and and what keeps you coming back.
1: Coming back to air sports. Coming
0: back to air sports, zipping yeah. up that suit and all the fun stuff that we do.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's funny that um, here we are in our 40s and kind of making moves towards the better years ahead. <clears throat> um, I often ask myself, like or other people ask me like you've already done these jumps 100 times what how do you stay motivated to keep going to, for that same one um you know for me there's a big fitness side of this like i love to walk up a mountain and be out there in nature and like feeling closer with the oneness of everything and i like that we have a simple descent tool that gets down and so i'm not trying to be a hardcore wingsuit based jumper it's never been my goal not trying to be the best speed flyer out there, but like, I love that we have these bag of tricks that we can go enjoy the mountains and uh, get off the top of these things pretty easily. So, um, as far as what's next in, in air sports specifically, I'm super motivated right now. Like these Wasatch wingsuit based jumps, I've been doing a bunch of them and repeating a bunch of them. And it's so fun for me to go for a hike around here and, Jump down and land in the backyard without going on a huge trip somewhere for a specific base jump. I love getting out there right now and doing this type of stuff. I I think the days of like sponsorship and chasing this type of stuff and chasing money through air sports is is now in the rearview mirror, and I'm f- totally happy with that. There was a time kind of in the height of all of, you know, the sponsorship days where, at the latter end of that, I would find myself waking up in the morning thinking. Okay, I got to go make, I'm going to go make a base jump today. I get to, was kind of like I would have to specifically have that thought. I get to go make a base jump so that I can post a video on Instagram and make the sponsors happy. And all of a sudden I found myself doing that and that wasn't genuine. Like it, I wasn't really going. Yeah, I wanted to go and I appreciate the motivation to go, but um, now it's quality over quantity is probably a better way to look at it. You know, if I can do one, really awesome wingsuit base jump a week that is of more value to me than like 10 slider off jumps around here. So it's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Right on Marshall.
0: Always a pleasure, bro.
1: Yeah. Great to see you, dude.
0: It's nice having you on the podcast and uh, great catching up with you again.
1: You too, brother. Look forward to hanging out sometime soon.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts about what you've just heard, please don't hesitate to hit us up. A big shout out to Mark Stockwell, our sound mixer and co-producer. We love you, man. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit exitpointpodcast.com. See you on the next one.